I was speaking to a gentleman who was telling me that he was trying to, in so many words, balance between reaching the lost and also keeping his family saved with living in the with this world concepts and then also it's been a while ago that he was talking to me not from our church and of course he, he is he as he was speaking I realized he was vaguely associated with the English language uh, he had a mild association with the language although he didn't speak any other language just he wasn't completely familiar with his own and he said to me, you know, pastor, it's, it's, the, it's the world and the church. He said, I'm in a catch-21. And I don't know why I said it on my mouth. And I just said, man, if you add one more, you'd really be in a pickle. <laughs> I'm going to open up a metaphor and syntax repair shop. <laughs> Sorry. But we but we do need to get ready. <laughs> now, if you didn't catch any of that stuff, Ivy Tech has a great class. Uh, if we looked into uh, God's directives to his prophets, it's apparent that hear this now it's apparent that the feel good motivational preachers of this century are far removed from any likeness of the apostles and prophets I often wonder if our own modern churches could accept the likes of the apostles and the prophets the bible features a depth that's far beyond our own cultural preferences. Think now. And well, it should. You see, if you were going on a trip, maybe a week trip, you would pack your suitcase with toiletries and clothes and shoes and maybe other items that you would need depending on the place of your destination. I'm going to move on from this, but I just want to say, motivational sermons are not enough to get you ready for the final destination. Watered down, feel good, 10 minute sermonette type things are not enough. We got to get in the word. We got to get deep. We're getting prepared here. Amen. Our text is a unique scene. It's found in John chapter 6. We're going to, we're not going to read the whole chapter, but we're going to catch the conversation in stride. John chapter 6 and verse number 60. Many, therefore, of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a hard saying. Who can hear it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said unto them, Doth this offend you? What and if ye shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before? It is the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak, my words, they are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you that believe not for Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. Two different groups. One would believe not and then the singular individual who would betray him. Verse 65. Jesus said, Therefore I said unto you that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my Father. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, Will ye also go away? I preach today a hard saying. 
hard saying. Father in heaven and earth beneath, we implore you, implore you to come and be among us. Measure the thoughts and intents of our hearts. Make sure that we can grasp the word. We count it a privilege and an honor to stand here today, to be in this house of worship. All of us together need to hear from you. I need to hear from you. Anoint me. Anoint me, Lord, with a supernatural anointing. I cannot give it to myself. Remove from us, Lord, all the thoughts of this world that confound us and baffle us and cause us to spend our energy on things that will not matter. I pray today for this entire house and for everyone that hears the word. Help them to receive it, Lord, in the spirit that it's delivered and look introspectively at our own lives and let there be great joy because of it. Let there be great praise because we have heard the word and it has changed our lives. And we thank you, Lord, for the Holy Spirit that's in this house. And we thank you, Lord, for the power and for the blood and for the name, for the truth and for the doctrine, for the worship and for the singing. And we thank you, Lord, for your love and for your restoration power. We rise up and say thank you, Lord, for reconciling us to yourself, Lord. You did what we could not do, Lord. We give you praise for that. Uh, Jesus' name. And all the people said amen. I thank you for standing. Go down clapping, if you will, with your Bibles on your laps. Clap unto the Lord. Come on, everybody, lift up a shout of praise. For the great God is in the house. He's a great God. It happened in a synagogue located in the city of Capernaum. No one can say for certain how many times Jesus entered that particular place, only to say that many of his disciples and many of the people were familiar with Mary and Joseph. They said as much. As they hear Jesus speak of himself, some of them reply in disgust, a retort born in disrespect. You are the bread of heaven, you? You came down from heaven? We know who your parents are. We know where you came from. You? They rejected his words by association. Familiarity became their undoing. Listen carefully. Familiarity has the ability to open the door to dishonor. And dishonor opens the door to spiritual oppression. The dishonor will not go unnoticed by the spirit world. The devil sees it full well. It never goes unnoticed. It allows deception and division to take root. I don't have time to relay the whole, but I will say that when people speak with dishonor about their spiritual authorities, a door opens to spiritual darkness and confusion opens that cannot be managed by logic or reason. I speak from a lifetime of understanding. Careful, ladies and gentlemen. Be very careful. I've admonished the church and many people on many occasions on this very matter, but it seems that the human will is far greater than a sound word. Careful. There is an affliction, a self-induced affliction, with a long trail of suffering behind it when those who have been given spiritual leaders murmur against them. 
Even God said in the Old Testament, I heard you in your tents when you were talking. I was listening to you. He heard the murmur in the privacy of their own, own homes as if the location of their complaints gave them permission to dishonor God's anointed man. Careful. They said, we know you. We know where you came from, Jesus. We met and know Mary and Joseph. That attending crowd that rebuffed the Lord, those with knowledge of his earthly lineage could not possibly conceive his origin or his divine appointment. This eternal God wrapped in human form, spotless and sinless blood, Emmanuel, the Almighty, the I am that I am, was far from their comprehension. We know you. No, they did not. Jesus is going to speak, though. He gives them a history lesson about manna. Then he inserts himself in the narrative as his own metaphor. I am the bread, he says. The living bread, the bread from heaven. It's a bold and bewildering statement to them. There are many people who hear him. The number of his disciples is now large. Men and women who followed him were many. All of them now packed into that limited space. It was a common scene. The number of disciples, the overflowing of people. But his self-declaration, being the bread and about his body, troubles them. They are disturbed by his teaching. When I know people are disturbed, I back off a little bit and I give room. I don't go all the way. But instead of leaving it alone, Jesus did not. Instead of letting them digest his analogy about bread... He takes it much further. He dives into the deep waters that few, if any of them, could understand. He said in verse 55, For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. The imagery staggers them. Then he speaks of eating his flesh and drinking his blood. If they do it, they will live forever, he says. But it's all too much. He is the self-proclaimed eternal substance. But to them, the image of eating his flesh and drinking his blood, it's a cloudy mix of little interpretation. And they cannot take it. It provoked them to say, this is a hard saying. Who can hear it? The Amplified Bible expands the scripture. I'll read it for you. When many of his disciples heard this, they said, this is a difficult and harsh and offensive statement. Who could be expected to listen to this thing? He could see it in their eyes. The recoil in their spirit. Jesus drew the line in the sand and this would be the line that most of them would not be able to cross. Think of it. Think of it now. Stretch your mind to who stands before them. It is Jesus God and man, born of a virgin, made in the likeness of men. He was fully God and fully man. He was enveloped with both the finite and the infinite. His birth by overshadowing of the Holy Ghost. He holds both the ultimate authority of heaven and earth, and, and yet he's bound by the most common elements and needs. Food, water, shelter, weakness, sleep, pain, loneliness. Jesus will not take back his statement. He knows they are murmuring about his teaching. He even says, does this offend you? That I would speak of myself, about my flesh? Am I offending you? Is this not palatable to your intellectual mind? He said, you don't understand because you did not see me before I came here. It's all so difficult for them. I get it. His words are difficult to comprehend. I get it. His teachings and analogies and man, the parables, most of which leave them with more questions than answers. Yes, some of them will understand in time, but nothing makes sense now. It's even distasteful, blood and flesh. The Lord's self-declaration has reached their limit of their comprehension. He has exhausted the capacity of their allowance. They could not receive it. And the Bible says, from that time... Many of his disciples went back and walked no more. And then suddenly something happens. The scripture reveals the human side of the Lord's nature. 
His most basic human nature fills with emotion and loss. It all rises to the center. Even though he knows, he he knows it in the eternal spirit, but when it happens, he feels it in his human nature. He's watching many of them walk away, so many of them. And he turns to those that were left, the twelve, and he says, will ye also go away? Are you going to leave me too? Many of the Bible storylines are too distant for me to feel. I, I read them with my logical mind, but not this one. The environment surrounding so many of the Old Testament stories strain my imagination. Sacrificial lambs and oxen, a priestly attire, valleys and mountains, a primitive time, but not here. I can feel this. This can be felt. The kings of Israel, their enemies with destruction and judgments, they're hard sometimes for us to grasp, but not this. The longing in his voice, it's right out in the open. Mary's son is now speaking. Mary's son. And it is willful and desperate. Will ye also go? The human part of this virgin-born Savior watches in heartbreak as many of them walk away from him. The sadness leaps from the page. He has pushed them into the depth of his purpose, and they cannot handle it. There were dozens, maybe more than 70, women also who had been around for the duration of his birth and childhood. He is speaking of being the bread of heaven, eating his body and his blood. It's it's so hard to grasp. Who can tolerate it? It's offensive. He watches them walk away, almost all of them. It's not just me, but a thousand commentators for hundreds of years have expressed the same emotional plunge. That Jesus would turn to those remaining twelve and ask, Will you also go away? Are you leaving me too? In his deity, he is the bread of life, but in his humanity, he said, I'm hungry. In his deity, he said, I'm the living water, but he also said, I thirst. The dual nature of Jesus Christ, this Jesus of Nazareth, will be tempted. He will be tempted, ladies and gentlemen, in every measure that you are tempted. He'll be tried in every way that you are tried. He'll feel emotion. Every emotion that you feel, he has felt. He feels love. He feels welcomed. But he also feels rejected and he feels loss. He, fe- he felt hope and he felt despair. He felt pressure. He felt abandonment. He felt stress. All of that. They followed him no more. And he felt their departure. And he asked them that remain, the few, will you also go away? Are you leaving me? It's the hard fact, ladies and gentlemen, that some disciples are not forever. Whether it be in a church or in that time or the followers of Jesus Christ, they left at the hard saying. And no one to date will ever avoid a hard saying. The saying, the hard saying may be different. The message may be different, but the nature of it is all the same. It's a dividing line. It's a crossroads. It's found in the valley of decision and makes a demand of the heart and of the mind. The hard saying. The apostles had convinced many of the Jews about the gospel, but to their dismay in time, some of those converted Jews turned against the faith, the Bible so declares. They were convinced they were baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. But then they turned around and returned to their tradition, the tradition of their fathers. They were in and then they were out. They were saved and then they were lost. Go back in the Bible. Israel's first king, King Saul. He would eventually be cut off by God. He would die in defeat. It was tragic. But even King Saul once prophesied with the school of prophets. He laid on the ground and prophesied. He began with anointing and the anointing oil. He began with a spiritual move of God and experience. He was found in humility, but he died in arrogance. He was 
Bound up by prominence, it destroyed him. Appointed, but fallen. Anointed, but gone. (laughs) King Saul was once confronted by the prophet Samuel about his deeds, but instead of repenting, Saul defended himself. Samuel drew a line of demarcation and Saul could not take it. It was a hard saying. When Samuel said, what do I hear? What have you done? Instead of saying, I'm I'm sorry, I I shouldn't have done that. Instead of saying, forgive me, I I don't know why I, I got puffed up. He became defensive and said, well, I just did what I thought was the right thing to do. I did what felt right to me. I kept the best. Even though God said to destroy it all. Yeah, but I thought it was a better. I'm using my logical mind. God gave me a mind. I can use it, Samuel. Many do not make it. Hear it, ladies and gentlemen. Many do not make it past the hard saying. But all will encounter at least one of them in their life. Maybe many hard sayings. It could be the guidance given from your leader or your pastor. Something that demands action or an answer from you. The hard saying challenges your will every time. It could be a word given through some other preacher. That's happened many times. God sends a preacher by our way. They don't know you. The word is given. You know it's for you. You walk away saying, man, how did that man know what's going on in my life? I know that was for me. You come, you you, you ask, did you say anything about me? No. How did they read my mail? How did they know what I was going through? Well, God knows. Thing you're saying, he knows what you're thinking right now. He knows if you're making a grocery list. He knows if your brain has been far removed from the sermon and you've you've inadvertently checked your watch a dozen times and say, "Man, uh, <laughs> come on, Starbucks." <laughs> he knows. You're kind of a little bit wondering, how did that preacher know? He came by, he didn't know me. And then the word comes out and it challenges your will and your mind and your heart. It's a hard saying. And you can receive it and change because of it. Or you can negotiate it right out of your life. Out of sight, out of mind. Maybe it was a moment when you felt like you were wronged. And maybe you were. Or maybe it was a directive that you could not understand and it bothered you. An offense that built a cavity between your expectation and your God call. A hard saying has come. It often invades people, exposes something in us. It always invades our intimate desires. It makes us uncomfortable. That's why many people run from the challenge and many people fail. Why did the rich young ruler walk away from Jesus sad? Why was he so sad? What went wrong that he left the presence of the almighty Savior? Why did he not follow Jesus again? He said, Master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I have followed the commandments. I've been faithful in every aspect of teaching of the law. I've done all that from from my youth up, from my childhood. I lived above the elements of my own culture and society. What must I do? Is there anything left? Because I've done everything. I've done it right. Here comes the hard saying, ladies and gentlemen. Jesus says, sell all. Jesus never said that that man, that ruler, was a sinner. He was not a sinner. Jesus did not rebuke him for what he had done wrong in his life. He had not done anything heretofore wrong in his life. There's no indication that the rich ruler was a was in debauchery or sin. He was doing everything that was right to do. He was doing good things. He was living an upstanding life. And then there's the rub. The hard saying is about the deeper things of God. It's about giving up everything. It's about obedience. It's about emptying yourself. It's not just doing what's right. Because you can do what's right and not do the will of God. Uh oh. Everyone is coming to a hard saying. Some of you have been there. Some of you know what I speak of. 
It could be lifestyle choices. Listen to pastor. Lifestyle choices are coming. Some of you parents are going to have to make some major lifestyle choices. Mm -hmm. It could be the way we speak or social media. It could be friends. Some of your friends are killing your spiritual walk with God. You're dying by association. It could be jobs or money or even, uh uh-oh, family. Lines need to be drawn. Stands made. Destinies determined. There will be decisions made. You will be pressed. You will be pressed to make some choice. Some make the decision but never leave the church. Some avoid it and never leave the church. They just leave their true commitment. A hard saying challenges your life. It makes you decide if this Bible is the true guide or if it's just a book of suggestions. It makes you think about how you order your life, how you live at home, what you allow and what you reject, who you choose to be your friend and confidant, who you allow to speak into your life. Because if you are bent on something, you can find someone who will agree with you every time. People watch news and listen to news and read news if it agrees with them. A hard saying speaks of more than just what is required. It pressures you to give what you love and what you protect. It demands kingdom mindsets and kingdom living. Eat his blood and drink. Eat his body and drink his blood. Eat it and drink it. Consumed by it. Sometimes it says, live with less, but live with purpose. I know where I'm at today, and I'm preaching this word to all of you. I... I've been challenging this church for several weeks in a row, for a couple months in a row. I've been challenging you. When I leave my office and look out of the window and I see all the cars, I just thank God they came back. I can't believe they came back. Next week, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to say the same thing. They came, how, how, did, how does this happen? They keep coming back. I'm challenging the word. I'm not a shallow, this is not a shallow sermon. I'm, I'm going to get to all the other subjects. Don't worry, I'll get to all the other subjects. But I've got to do what the Lord tells me to do. I, I don't, I'm not in control of this. You think I'm in control of this. I'm not in control of this. You, some of you think that I pick and choose what I want to preach about. It, it, in the night, Tammy gave me the scripture. In the night, the Bible says the Lord teaches us in our sleep or in the night. She gave me the scripture because last week the Lord woke me up. I have been working, working, working. God, do you want me to? Finally, in the night, he, he, he put the word in my brain. I woke up in the night. There it was. You think I'm in control of all this stuff. Could you just imagine, I know some of you know me, and you've been around me for a long time. It's, it, that may hurt you. That actually might hurt you. Because you, 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 you're, you're, you're dangerously, dangerously close to being familiar with me. But could you just accept for one moment that maybe God is speaking from this pulpit, and you're hearing my voice and seeing my image, but it's not me. It's not the Lord. Could God actually talk to us? Could God have refuge in here? Could God have an opportunity here? Is this a place where God can speak? Can the Holy Ghost do his perfect work? Can you receive it? This today is the danger of the pastor. It's the comfort of the evangelist. It's the danger of the pastor. And as I stand here preaching what the Lord put in my mind, I want you to know that there's another side, the other side of your obedience. When you follow it and you accept the hard saying, there is an authority in the Holy Ghost. It's unlike anything you've ever witnessed in your life. To be consumed by him, to be consumed of him. There's a power and a peace unlike anything else when you get past the hard saying and you say, I just don't understand it all, but I'm going to drink his blood. I'm going to eat his body. I'm going to be consumed with it. When you get past that and you don't walk away, I promise you there's an authority in your life you have never witnessed before. And I hope you can make it. I'm preaching today because I want you to make it. 
I pray that with every hard saying, every challenging word, every bewildering moment, that not only will you receive what is offered, but that you will rise up and say that nothing is going to separate you from the love of God and from the mission and from the church. We've got to make it. We've got to make it. We cannot let trouble or trial or even hard sayings remove us. In fact, I would even submit to you that a hard saying might actually keep you. It might be the keeping power of your life. When you're challenging your spirit and your actions are called on the carpet and you feel like there's something you don't understand, it might be the keeping power in your life. Don't reject it. You've got to make it. You've got to make it. We're going somewhere. There's a destination. Get your bags packed. You got to get everything ready in your life. You got to know you're going to go somewhere. You're not going to be here forever. I'm in the deep water, so I'll just swim around there for a little while. How about reproofs and rebukes? Did you know that both of those things are listed as part of the duties of the ministry? Paul wrote to Titus. Hear this, Titus. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Don't let anyone despise you. Do what I'm telling you to do. Timothy, preach the word, Timothy. Be instant in season and out of season. Reprove, Timothy. Rebuke, Timothy. Exhort with all long suffering and doctrine, Timothy. What about the scripture that exposes us? The author of the Bible said that his scripture is so that we could be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Because the Bible itself will challenge you. It will discern what you're thinking. It will make incisions and cuts and surgeries to your heart. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It divides things out of your life. There are many hard sayings in the Bible that we do not like, but you still have to obey them. I didn't always like what my daddy said. Dad would give us a directive, and I didn't like it. But if I wanted to live in his house, there were some requirements. I thought it was my bedroom. Come to find out, I couldn't take it with me. I need that square footage right now. I was trying to cut it out of his house and put it in my house. I kept saying for the duration of my teenage life, this is my bedroom. It's off limits. Come to find out, it belonged to him the whole time. Some of you, some of you parents think you've bought into this notion that your kids have a privacy. That it's their things, that their stuff, and they'll tell you. One of my friends said uh, that, that his daughter was complaining. And he said, my, my daughter thinks I'm too nosy. At least that's what her diary said. <laughs> Just a <joke. laughs> What? What? what your, that's your phone? That, that's your? No, 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 no. No, that's my phone. No, no, that's your computer? That, no, no, no. You're mistaken. No, no, that's my computer. I'm just letting you live. <laughs> Did you want me to say this? Hold on, you're embarrassing your children. No, 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 that, that's my... Your drawers, your closets, your... No, oh no, oh no, 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 no. We're going to decide. We've got to get right. Some things have to be divided out of our lives. Here, pastor today, we don't have time to play the game. The church game or the Pentecostal game. And there's nobody that knows how to play the game like the Pentecostals. Because, see, we have gifts. We have Holy Spirit. We speak in tongues. So we speak in tongues and think that we're justified in the rest of our lives. No, 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 no. That's just a beauty that the Lord gives you. 
that doesn't indicate that you're obedient or submissive or loving. Live or die, that's up to you. Get right or get left, we are all about to take a trip and we've got to make it. <laughs> uh, now, I'm not a pessimist. I'm a believer in God and I'm a supporter of people. But the parable of the sower and the seed indicates that the greater majority who hear the word will not make it past a hard saying. Some will allow weeds to grow up and it will choke out the word because you determine your own soil, not the seed and not the sower. The soil is your heart. The seed is the same. And the sower is commanded to sow indiscriminately. But I believe that we can all make a change. We can pull up weeds. We can throw out rocks. We can repurpose what's been damaged. That's the beauty of this house. That's why I'm still preaching here today. Because I'm holding out hope that all who have been a little disconnected will get reconnected. I'm praying that everyone who has been discouraged will be encouraged. And everyone who feels disenfranchised is going to buy in all over again. We've got to make it. I did not walk in here today with my head hung low. I came in here knowing that this is the body of Jesus Christ. And you are going to make it. You are going to survive. You got a hard saying coming or you're right in the middle of a hard saying. But I rise to say, you're going to get through it. You're going to make it. You're not going to be in despair. You're not going to be left out. Do not believe the report of the devil. And do not believe your own heart that condemns you. You've got to make it. You've got to make it. I know that you can make it. Ah, I just got to be real with you now. Because even so, it happened among the apostles. It will happen among us. People leave. Disciples walk away. Some were men of position. Preachers no less. Of which there were few in those days. Paul wrote about it. He's boasting in his fellow laborers in the gospel. He cherishes them. Everyone of them, all of them were giving their time. I know the feeling of that. Being surrounded by so many great men and women who share the ministry here. Our very lives are meant for the kingdom. The mission of this house consumes so many of us. We don't think about this as just a building. It's not just a building. This is where we find our direction. It is our life's work. With the effort of seeing people healed and restored and saved. For me to be surrounded by men and women who work hand in hand for the kingdom's sake. It is the joy of my life. Paul called them his fellow laborers. There's nothing like having a fellow laborer. There's also nothing like watching one of them walk no more. Consider Paul's final salute to the church in Colossia. He writes in Colossia, Colossians 4, Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. Man, the status of those two men. Salute the brethren which are in Laodicea, Nymphus, the house which is in his, the church which is in his house. Incredible. Home churches, powerful men. Just two little verses right there speak of exactly what was going on. What a send-off. Luke and Demas, they're greeting you. These are the heavyweights. If you scoured the country right now for the most profound preachers, you might say a variety of names. They were heavyweights. Maybe you could call out some of those names in your own mind. Those are heavyweight preachers. Now, those are the guys, man. You don't mess with them. You can choose whoever they are. I've chosen it, but every time I get to a heavyweight, they're actually heavy. So I dare not say their names. <laughs> but if we were to mention the powerhouse preachers back then and teachers and leaders, we would name Paul and Apollos, Peter and John, Demas, Aquila, Priscilla, Mary of Bethany, another incredible lady, house church. 
fellow laborers, men and women given to the kingdom, people who give up everything, lived under the threat of imprisonment or death. It was not a light thing back then to preach the baptism in Jesus' name. If you invoke the name in some places, you were executed, you were burned at the stake, you were crucified, boiled in oil, beheaded, or whipped. So it was no wonder why the fellowship of the brethren was so precious to Paul. Paul wanted his readers to know their names. Great men and great women, he named names. Paul once wrote a plea to pardon Onesimus. He wrote to Philemon in your Bible. He said, Onesimus has been converted, Philemon. I'm sending him home back to you. Please receive him as a brother, for he has ministered unto me. And then at the end of that letter of mercy, man, if you have never had a letter of mercy in your life, wow. If you've never written a letter of mercy, at the end of that letter of mercy, Paul sends greetings again from those he considered great people of the faith. There salute the epiphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus. We're going to send more salutings from Marcus, Aristarchus, Demas, there he is, Lucas, my fellow laborers, there that name, Demas. Something is going to happen in time. Paul will not hide it. Something happened to Demas. For Paul wrote to Timothy later on in the second letter to Timothy, chapter 4, verse 10, Demas hath forsaken me. He loved this present world. How could it be? He went off to Thessalonica. Here's the next line of the next verse. Only Luke is with me. The first two lines of verses 10 and 11 tell all that needs to be told. Demas is gone. I only have Luke left. Demas has forsaken me. Will you also go away? The pain in Paul's heart cannot be hid. There is no remorse. Like a backslidden brother. It's a death all its own. Even among the great, the profound, the powerful, there has been a departure. People have left, gone. Preachers from my childhood, backslidden. Some of the greatest sermons that ever preached, that were ever preached. My brother and I once had cassette tapes and he, we were going to places and Scott, I was just along for the ride and Scott would go preach and sometimes he would play the organ for places and we would ride in his car and we listened to some of the great sermons from our great preachers and one of them was so descriptive. He was poetic in his presentation. He was a theatrical preacher and I can remember that day that we pulled the car over and we just cried. We wept. We spoke in tongues in his car. On our, on our trips, he would always have, Scott would always have a, a sermon tape and we would, we've heard some great preachers and some of those very men that moved us, changed our lives, they're gone, left the faith. They've forsaken. Some of those men helped me get to where I am today. Teachers, a Bible quizzing coach, he left the faith. My first youth pastor who prayed with me the night I received the Holy Ghost, they walk no more. Worship leaders, songwriters that moved us, musicians and singers that once played under the anointing, now missing, backslidden or abandoned, hard sayings, decisions that did not fall their way, discouragement maybe, okay, hurt or wounded perhaps, but they left all the same. No longer do they work, do the work of the kingdom. No longer are they a part of the fellowship. The mission has faded from their view. This is not a new thing, ladies and gentlemen. Jesus saw them leave. Paul saw them leave. The Bible even offers this prophecy about the moment right before the Antichrist. I'll read it to you. Second... Second Thessalonians, let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin, the Antichrist, shall be revealed, the son of perdition. The truth is that there will be both a revival of souls and a falling away of some of the brethren. Some will come and some will go. A couple of weeks ago, Tammy and I took a little trip uh, we said to our children, we're going on just a little three or four day vacation. And they said, if you're going away from us on vacation, we are also on vacation. <laughs> this was disconcerting. We needed a little time to read and talk. And we did. We, we talked. We, we brought our baseball gloves and threw a baseball. Like we did when we first married. 
Tammy can catch just about anything because she grew up on the softball field with her father. Yes, we did check on our children, but mostly because we were concerned about the dogs. (laughs) They know that. Roman, how are the dogs? We, we had our computers and from time to time we were thinking of things and we wanted to look up some old sermons that I preached. And some of those old cameras in the other building, we thought they were so great at the time, they, they weren't that great. But we thought they were, they were, they were good and we were looking and my eyes found people who are now missing People who used to be here, part of this body, fellow laborers, in fact, but they walk no more. Now, I've heard a myriad of excuses about why people have done that, but regardless, they have slid back all the same. Holiness is no longer part of their life. The convictions they once taught to others now lay empty in their own life. The essentiality of Acts 2.38, John chapter 3, the new birth of, of repentance, baptism in the name of Jesus, and receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit no longer is necessary. They never speak of it as if it never existed. They now promote a watered-down version of what they once said was without exception and corrupt. Submission is no longer a hard saying has come. Unity of the body dismissed, a hard saying has come. The body, in fact, has been disowned. Some are just gone. Now, they'll tell you that they are saved, but they have no spiritual voice under which they submit. The description doesn't really matter. The sum has been tallied, and the result is all the same. Paul felt it. Jesus saw it in his time. They walk no more. They said it was because of a hard saying. Who can tolerate it? Who can take it? Why should we take it? I don't know how you're going to receive this message today. All I know is that we're going to go somewhere. We've got to get ready. But if the hard saying of your life comes, it will challenge your devotion, whether you accept it or not. But if you don't accept it, I want you to remember a few things from me today. First, it's not better on the outside. If you're watching this today, it's not better outside of the church. If you choose to walk away, life is never going to get better because you left the house. All that is in the world is lust and pride, decay, heartache. There is no such thing as greener grass. Secondly, if you leave because you don't like someone here, I promise you that same person or personality will find you wherever you go. They're waiting for you to come. God loves you so much, he'll send the same thorn. It, that thorn does not live in one location. It may just be the trial of your faith. It will reside wherever you live. In fact, the thing you don't like about most people, you may be raising a son or daughter that have all those attributes. I don't like the way my dad, my mom spoke to me. Oh yeah? Well, your son and your daughter are just like him. God put that into your, their genetic code to help you forgive your mom and dad. This is a hard saying. <laughs> Who can take it? You've been running away from your dad your whole life. Your dad found resonance in your children and grandchildren. You should also know that the greatest and most complete healing always comes in the place where you were first wounded. The arguments against against this have all failed. Jesus and Joseph were both wounded in the house of their friends, but they also were healed there too. Here, pastor, if you ever take a note, forgiveness given to others is the self-made balm that you are healed with. When you start to forgive others, you're whipping up a healing substance, and it heals you. I got a couple more things, and then we're just going to pray that the Lord will not let us forget this day. 
whether you like your spiritual authority or not, you will never be your own pastor. No one can be their own umbrella. There's some country songs about being your own best friend. One man wrote in the country song that his wife left uh, with his dog and he sure does miss his dog. Something like that. You'll never be your own umbrella. You have to have spiritual authority. That was the order and design of God. (laughs) Oh, it's a hard saying. Submission is not a thing to just declare. You can't walk around saying, I'm a submissive person. It's not an attribute that you're born with. No one's born with the attribute of submission. Probably one of the first words that most children learn is no. Their first word is not dad, dad, mama, it's no. Now, it may not come out as no, but that's what they're saying. You're hearing something else. Look, they said, I love you, daddy, you're the best. No, they're saying, no, get away from me, I want my candy. I don't like lima beans, get those out of here. French fry. Mm -hmm. Submission. In reality, you'll never know if you have it until the day that you are asked to do something that you do not like or agree with. You never understand submission until you come up against a hard saying. Oh my. I'm in the will of God right now. I hope you have ears to hear what I'm saying. My children and all the boys, listen, and all the young ladies, you're all my kids. There will be things asked of you because we actually know a little bit more because we've gone through the pain and we're trying to keep you from something you don't want to be involved in. It may sound like a hard saying, but if you'll just get past that, someday you're going to look back and say, man, somebody saved me from something. I didn't like it at the time, but I, I was saved from something. I got a word for somebody. Don't die at the hard saying. Don't reject the hard saying. God's going to give you something. You got to say, okay, I'll do it, Lord. I don't always understand it, but I'll do it because I want to be saved. I got to pack. I got to go somewhere. I cannot afford to be lost now. I'll tell you what I'm doing today. I'm preaching in high hope. I got a high, high hope. I got a high hope today that you are going to be saved, that you're going to make it, that you're going to be loving God, that you're never going to leave the church, that you're never going to leave the truth, that you're never going to leave the Bible or the gospel. I'm preaching because I got a high hope. And I want you to know another thing, just so you know, that if you go and you think that you can get back sometime in the future, don't count on that. I'll repeat the old statement. I hope it's not trite. Sin will take you farther than you ever wanted to go. It'll keep you longer than you ever thought that you would stay. And it'll cost you more than you ever wanted to pay. Don't think that you can just get back. Say, well, I'm just going to sow a little wild oats and I'm just going to have my fill of the world because I read about the prodigal. Let me tell you, most never get back. Most never come back. Because they get so bound up with the world and so many horrible things happen. God can forgive them, but they won't forgive themselves. Or sometimes they just forget everything about what they used to be. And they forgot the feeling. In fact, if you go so far, sometimes you think the church is not even worth the effort. And why would I ever go to a church? And it's sometimes it's a money issue. Why would I ever give money to a church? And you'll negotiate your ties away. You'll negotiate your holiness away. You'll negotiate, negotiate your prayer time away. And you'll think, I can just get back. You may never get back. So I rise to say today, don't don't ever leave. Don't ever leave. Don't ever go anywhere. You gotta, you gotta be a rock. You gotta be sure. You gotta be founded. You gotta love the unloved and the unlovable. You gotta love the hard saying and say, I don't care what it is. I'm consumed by him. I got to say something to a mama in here and a daddy in here. When you go home and you have trouble and a hard saying comes to you, don't serve the hard saying for dinner. 
If the hard saying came to your life, don't cook it up in a casserole. Many parents have done that. And now what you are struggling with, your kids are choking on. I'm preaching today. I got a high hope. I know you're on the edge. I'm going to tell you, come on back in. You're feeling disenfranchised? Come on, buy in again. Come on, buy one more time. I know that you feel discouraged, but if you could just get up one more time and say, okay, I'm going to start over one more time today. You don't need to walk away. Don't be one of those powerful people that we regret losing. And someday I'm watching this 2021 sermon and we're looking and the cameras actually, they happen to hit your face. And I say, where are they? What happened to them? I didn't like the songs they were singing. I like this kind of song. That's what our grandparents said, but they never left the church. We used to have one song leader and the hymnal. We sang everything out of the hymnal. But, but when we had courses, that was a tough thing to have a course and not a hymnal. That was a tough thing. And then they had praise singers. We brought praise singers up to the platform and, 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 and no one could hold a microphone in those days. You don't, some of you don't know this, but they, you, you were not allowed to hold the microphone. You stood behind a stand real still and you sang like that. And they had color-coded microphone filters on the mics. And when they they wore out over time, you would just take a breath. And you would be breathing in all the orange and yellow and green stuff. And it would just, you know, people were choking while they were praising it. The nastiest things I've ever seen in my life. Every time I go to a church and preach and they got a filter, I just take it off. I just throw it away, stomp on it, say, oh, that thing's of the devil. That, those, and, and no one knew what to do with that. They said, where's our church going? We, we became so liberal. We had five praise singers on the platform. And the old timers, the people that, that had been there that helped the church survive, they said, I'm just uncomfortable. But they got through it and they didn't leave. And then we had a guy get up and play the electric guitar that played more than three chords. Woo! struggle man when he got to that little whiny note there's a little bar at the end of that guitar and you push it and go wow 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 I was like man we are rocking today I saw some of the old ladies sitting on the second row they were shaking their heads saying I'm rebuking that devil right now out of that guy. <laughs> Bought a drum set that had a lot of drums. It had a, and uh, toms. And then we got tom-toms. You got the drums and you got the tom-toms. The tom-toms are extra drums. And there may have been 15 or 20 drum heads. And I felt like they were lonely. I wanted to hit every one of them. I love the fast songs. I would do drum rolls and drum roll the whole thing. And some of the people were disturbed, but I was excited because I was playing the drums. I played the drums. I started out with no cymbals. and I ended up with like 15 cymbals. I was surrounded by the drums. You had to lower me into the drum set with a lift. I was so excited. My mom was playing the piano. My brother was on the organ. My, my sister had the mind. I was playing the drums. I was so excited. I can't tell you I was of God or I was anointed, but I'm going to tell you right now, those drums felt the vibration in the people. I thought, if we can't get the spirit in here, I'm going to get some beat going on here. Man, we are going to have us a church service with the drums alone. And I'm certain there were people that were angry about the drums. And they were angry about this and about that. And they, but they did not leave because they knew it's going to change a little bit here and there. But as long as I'm preaching the doctrine and I didn't give up on holiness and I'm still baptizing in Jesus' name, do not leave. I have high hopes today that you are not going to be gone at a hard scene. I got a prayer today that with every hard scene, there's going to be an endurance that you are going to be saved and you are going to endure and you are going to be saved. Yay! You got to get up and say, it doesn't matter to me what they sing today. I'm going to clap. 
I'm going to shout. I'm going to rejoice. It doesn't matter to me because I know I got my eyes on the prize and I'm getting ready. Stand with me now. You're going to have to go back over this. Please don't let this be the only time you hear this. In the next few days, get to the podcast and go through it. Please don't let me write a song and you only sing it one time. receive this word would you receive it now uh, uh, save us here today, Lord, I pray. Save us here today. Keep us, Lord, with your keeping power. Oh, Father.